Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 87, Jacob. Welcome to the third season of Sister Scriptorians, where we're going to begin studying the book of Jacob. We've heard from Jacob before, and we know him to be a great teacher. He was a witness of Jesus Christ at a very young age, and we begin the book of Jacob by learning about the confidence that Nephi has in Jacob. 55 years after Lehi left Jerusalem, Nephi is giving Jacob a commandment regarding the small plates, which are the plates that contain the words that we've been studying. The Book of Mormon contains the small plates. The large plates is a separate record that Nephi kept, and it preserved the history of the people. And I can't wait to one day have an opportunity to read that and to learn about these people and building their civilization. But these small plates, by commandment from Nephi, which Nephi received commandment from God, were to be different. Nephi counseled Jacob that Jacob was to write what Jacob considered to be the most precious and to just touch lightly upon history. So Jacob was commissioned to preserve these plates and to then hand them down to Jacob's seed from generation to generation. Nephi instructed that if there was preaching that was sacred or revelation which was great or prophesying, that's what Jacob was to preserve and to engrave the most important parts of these occurrences on the small plates. And why? What was the purpose? And I love this clarity that Jacob gives us. Jacob was to do this for Christ's sake and also for the sake of the people of Nephi. For Christ's sake, I find to be really interesting. Remember, these are prophets, and I really truly believe friends of Jesus. And their services were in the service of their God. All their preparing of the people to prepare them to to meet Christ and to learn of his doctrine was all in the service of their God. And they were preparing the people so that they would be ready to receive the offering that Jesus was going to give them. And the offering was going to be himself. And so it was for his sake that Jacob and Nephi were doing all that they could to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to this preserved but broken branch of Israel so that they would be prepared both heart and mind to accept him when he comes. And before we get into what Jacob feels compelled to say to the Nephites at this time, in order to be able to redirect them back to Jesus Christ, let's just spend just a few minutes loving on these priesthood leaders. If you look at verses 5 through 8 in Jacob chapter 1, we have some descriptive language as to what is going on inside for these brethren. The first word we come upon is faith. They are exercising faith. And what we know from our life is that faith isn't always easy and it doesn't always feel good. Faith is letting go and letting God. Faith is believing that he knows best 
believing that he will intervene if necessary, if it is his will. It is accepting his will, especially when it is contrary to ours. It is believing that his will is for the best, even if we have to experience a lot of pain because of it. It is believing that we can be directed by him and that he will reveal to us in his own time what direction we should take. Remember, Nephi is the guy who has had some experience in being led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which he should do. Nevertheless, he goes forth. And that takes a lot of faith and a lot of putting aside of our own fears and wisdom often and relying on God and his ways. Notice that in the scriptures, it also says that they had great anxiety for their people. These are men who felt deeply and not fleetingly, but consistently. They knew what was going to eventually happen to their people. There were probably times of both concern and worry for these Nephite prophets. But if their faith was being exercised, I imagine concern was where they were operating from. And how do I know this? I say this with confidence because of verse 6. And we also had many revelations and the spirit of much prophecy. Wherefore, we knew of Christ and his kingdom, which should come. Never, ever, never, ever, even though I might be trying very desperately Do I ever receive revelation when I am worried and worked up greatly? Let's take a minute to recall some of the revelations that they did receive regarding their people. Because they've told us some of them. They've told us a lot of them. But here are just a few that the footnotes of verse 5 capture for us. Nephi and Jacob, number one, knew that their seed would be scattered eventually by the Gentiles. Nephi had been told, though, that those who God brought out of Jerusalem, if they kept the commandments of God, he would prosper them. He would keep them from other nations, that these nations wouldn't molest them or take away their land of inheritance, that God would keep them safe. He was willing to. And you can see that Nephi and the other leaders would do all that they could to help the people to abide by this covenant that God was making with them so that they could be protected and progress as long as possible. Nephi and his brethren were also told, or they also knew, that God would not allow all their seed to perish. Remember, remember Lehi's blessing to the sons and daughters of Laman and Lemuel, that they most likely would suffer in disbelief because of their parents, but they would not perish because of their parents. God would be merciful to them and to their seed forever. Also, Nephi and Jacob knew that the Book of Mormon would eventually come forth and that many would believe the words which were written upon it. And isn't it wonderful to know that you and I are a part of the many that were prophesied about? Also, the Book of Mormon would be carried to the remnant of the seed of Lehi and they would be gathered. So the anxiety of Jacob and Nephi or their great concern for the people actually acquainted them with God and then gave them reassurance from him that they would not be forgotten or forsaken. So even their great anxiety wasn't in vain. 
Another word that is used to describe Nephi and Jacob's labor, and possibly others who worked closely with these brothers in furthering the work of the Lord, is the word diligent. And diligent means steady, earnest, energetic. So steadily, earnestly, and energetically, they labor to persuade their people to come unto Christ and to partake of the goodness of God. They desire to convince their people not to rebel against God or provoke him to anger, but to believe in Christ and to view his death and suffer his cross and bear the shame of the world. What a great definition of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I actually wrote in my scriptures next to verse 8, definition of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Especially the suffer his cross and bear the shame of the world. For those of us who are trying to keep one foot in the world and one foot on the narrow path, we need to look at this verse and realize that that just can't be something to consider. Jacob also gives us the last defining characteristics of the great prophet Nephi. Nephi had grown old and was nearing the end of his life, and Nephi was loved exceedingly by his people, and he was truly their protector, not only in spiritual things, but he even used the sword of Laban in their defense. And who was he defending them against? I imagine it was the Lamanites. And he also labored for their welfare, and he was very much amongst the Nephites, trying his best to improve their quality of life there in the promised land, and they loved him for it. And one of his duties before his death was to anoint a man to be king over the people. And the people, in order to honor and to remember the great Nephi, they desired their subsequent kings to be named Nephi. So they would have a second Nephi and a third Nephi and so forth. Jacob also tells us that all the different families that descended from Lehi would now be classified into two categories. The Nephites will consist of the Nephites and the Jacobites and the Josephites and the Zoramites. There's Lamanites, there's Lemuelites, and there's Ishmaelites among them. But all of them who are friendly with Nephi will be called Nephites. And everyone else who sought to destroy the people of Nephi were referred to as Lamanites. And I find it interesting. We're not saying believers versus non-believers. We are finding those who are friendly with Nephi and probably the principles and standards and the gospel that he taught, and then those who wished to destroy the people of Nephi. So we now have the Nephites and the Lamanites. And Jacob briefly preserves in scripture the history And it came to pass that Nephi died. What a phenomenal man. I hope you feel that your life has been blessed by him. But for Jacob, the work moved forward. And he was concerned about the Nephites. During the reign of the second Nephi, the people's hearts began to grow hard and they began to indulge in practices that were contrary to the commandments of God. We'll talk about the first concern that Jacob had today. And then, of course, in next week's podcast episode, we'll talk about his second concern. Note, though, that Jacob is going up to the temple to teach the people. These are the people who are devoted to worshiping God in their temple. So he's talking to the saints. 
And just like our congregations, there are men, women, and children who are present. And it takes Jacob 10 verses to begin his address, to get into the meat of it. And I get the feeling that Jacob does not want to admonish the people on the topics that he has been constrained by strict commandment by God to say to them. And I would guess that these feelings have more to do probably with the second topic that we'll talk about next week than with the first topic, but I don't know. So let's jump down for today down to verses 11 through 21. And this is the topic, the seeking for gold, silver, and all manner of precious ores is a concern of the Lord's at this time. Jacob was commanded by the Lord the night before to go to the temple and to declare the word that the Lord would reveal to Jacob. The Nephites had been blessed to have been led to a land of promise and amongst its blessings that it had to offer the people was its abundance in materials of beauty, and of worth. This was the Lord's intent, and it wasn't wrong of them to have access and to be acquiring these materials. In fact, Jacob expresses this when he says that the hand of providence hath smiled upon you, most pleasingly, that you have obtained many riches. The problem begins for them and for us when we start elevating ourselves, thinking better of ourselves than of our fellow men because of our abundance. And what does that sound like? It's pride. It's that competition. It's that elevating that pride brings into our heart. So today, instead of going through each line of scripture in this chapter, I'm just going to pull out some truths to consider. And the first one is we learn that our riches can come from God. From the hand of providence smiling upon us most pleasingly. It is not because we are more special, more talented, or more of anything really. (laughs) Sometimes it's because of our great efforts and sometimes it's the circumstances we are placed in. But it can come from God. And if you stop and think about it, or at least when I stop and think about it, if my abundance comes from God... There is a stewardship of what I should be doing with it. Because God's purpose, remember, is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. So if he is blessing me with this gift or tool, then it is to further his work. So what does that mean to you? And what tweaks come to your mind that you must make in order to be able to not only accept this truth, but act this truth. And you notice that I said that these riches can come from God. I don't know that they always come from God. Some people obtain riches through wicked ways. And I also think that there are good people that God loves tremendously, that they will be jewels in his crown And they have not received or been given riches in this life. Essentially, Jacob, I believe, is showing us that riches is not what is evil. And that God can bless his people with riches if he chooses to. The next truth we find in verse 21. And it says, Do ye not suppose that such things are abominable unto him who created all flesh? And in a second, we'll talk about what Jacob means by such things. So stay with me. But Jacob continues, And the one being is as precious in his sight as the other. 
and all flesh is of the dust, and for the selfsame end hath he created them, that they should keep his commandments and glorify him forever. And the truth that I pull out of this is that one child of God is not more special, made of better stock or any different or on a different path than the rest of us. We are all loved by God. He is not a respecter of persons. And we are all flesh. We are all made of flesh, which is of the dust. We all have the same needs to be loved and to feel safe and to be fed and kept warm, to be clothed and nurtured, to be heard, to be understood, to be valued and to be appreciated. And we're also here for the same reason, to gain eternal life. Despite the successes or the failures we have acquired according to the world's terms, no matter which stores we shop at or the vacations we go on or the toys that we have to entertain ourselves with or anything else that creates status or separation in this world from the other children of God, we are all here for the same purpose, bottom line. Everything else is simply the pursuit of our own happiness. And finally, the next truth then piggybacks on to the second truth where no one is better than the other and God loves all of us. If this is true, then it is also true that our riches do not elevate us in the real world. They only elevate us in the make-believe world of mortality. And do you know this to be true? Do your children... I'm telling you, adolescence is no joke. The comparing of labels and the things starts so young nowadays. Oh, I just sounded old. But it's true. And it is heartbreaking, really, to watch young children develop stiff necks and high heads because of their costly apparel. There was a time that my husband was out of work for six months And this was not the first time that we had experienced such difficulty. So it was a devastating six months. Anyway, unfortunately, buying growing boys shoes felt like a burden. (laughs) But we bought them shoes. And I saw the confidence rise in one of my boys especially. But then I saw it plummet when he came home the next day. Crushed because someone had noticed His new shoes had called attention to a bunch of boys about it, and they circled around him and they started stomping on his new shoes. Labels, too, are noticed, and questions asked about why you don't wear certain labels happen. I don't know. My point is for us to liken Jacob's words to the Nephites, to ourselves, when he said, And because some of you have obtained more abundantly than that of your brethren, Ye are lifted up in the pride of your hearts, and you wear stiff necks and high heads because of the costliness of your apparel, and persecute your brethren because ye suppose that ye are better than they. Notice, it's it's not the abundance. It's not the price of the apparel. Those really are neutral. It's the meaning that we attach to these circumstances where we start to go wrong thinking we're better than others, and then persecuting them because of that story that we have fooled ourselves with. 
and told ourselves over and over again. So what did Jacob counsel his people to do? These people who had gathered at the temple to learn the word of God and to grow closer to Christ. One, think of your brethren like unto yourselves. Two, be familiar with all. Three, be free with your substance that they may be rich like unto you. Four, before ye seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And five, after ye have obtained a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches if ye seek them. And then once you have these riches, what are you to then do with them? You will seek them for intent to do good, to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry and to liberate the captive and administer relief to the sick and the afflicted. This to me sounds like a totally different game plan than what our finance classes teach us or what the enticements of the world allure us with. And what would our lives look like if we truly followed God's plan of abundance, God's plan of riches? Riches aren't good or evil. They just are what they are. (laughs) It's what we do with them. It's what we become when we have them and when we don't have them. And likening these scriptures to myself and pondering how I can grow in this doctrine of Jesus Christ. My mind recalls the Christ-like examples that have blessed my family's life when we were struggling. Like I said, we've experienced unemployment as one of our trials during our married life. Not just once or twice, but we've experienced it several times. And thank goodness my dad taught me to save. Because savings has carried us through most of these experiences, but there did come a time when we were hurting. But the giving of those who did not judge our circumstances and who did not doubt that we were doing all we could to make righteous choices elevated us with their kindness and their generosity. Do not get me wrong. There were some who in pride looked down upon us. But that is of no significance. There was a particular Christmas that the pressures of the season weighed heavily upon my shoulders. And my husband was out of work at that time for about three months. So we were kind of halfway in between that six-month period. And trying to carry on the festivities for the children and meeting our obligations was slowly putting me into a panic. Judd's mother had been so supportive. And she has truly taught me generosity and how to be generous with love. Family of seven at this point, three months in of unemployment, was eating up the savings that we had acquired. And I remember trying my best to be at church and to put on that good face. You know that good face. You do it too. (laughs) And I was walking down the hallway at church when a good, a good, good man of the ward quietly asked me, if we were good for Christmas. That's all he asked. And it caught me off guard. But I said, yes, thank you. We're good. And then we departed in opposite directions. And I was taken aback. I experienced a flash of pride. How did he know was my first concern. And then a flood of love filled me. He knew me and he reached out. And I was grateful. 
because I admire him. It may have been that night. I, my mind is fuzzy. <laughs> but it was very soon near that moment. And I was watching Light, Up the, Light the World videos with my family. And one of them was a David Archuleta song that was new that year called My Little Prayer. And my heart was so touched because this song reflected the feeling and the words that my own personal prayers had been filled with during those months. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for your eternal presence. I am learning to be patient and that you are really there. Sometimes I am afraid, and I know that's lacking faith, but I'm beginning to understand that for me, you have a plan. The doorbell rang, and Jed went to answer it. No one was there but an envelope. And in that envelope... There was money left for our family from someone who loved us and cared for us as much as they did for themselves and who wished to be anonymous. And tears streamed down my face, and I regret that at first they were tears of shame. At first I felt like that I was not good enough, that I wasn't as good as those that were, that had riches to give. And as I looked at my husband's face, I could tell he felt the same. And to watch, ladies, a good man who takes on seriously his role as the provider of his family and who is wading through obstacles that are standing in his way to do so, all I can say, friends, if you are experiencing that, hold your husband close and appreciate every good thing he is attempting to do. Will you? Will you be his friend and his soft place to land? He goes out there and he's willing to experience rejection for your family with the hope that his efforts will soon be blessed and that his family will be safeguarded. And in that moment, his efforts were being blessed. His family was safeguarded, just not in the way we were asking for them to be. But with that song still in my mind, the words of the last verse burned in my heart. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for you hearing my prayer. I am learning to be patient and that you are really there. There are answers I'm receiving. No, they are not always immediate. Sometimes I've felt a feeling. That's when I kneel down in prayer. You show me. You hear my prayer. I'm amazed by how you care because you hear my little prayer. God had heard my desperate prayers and answered them in a way I did not expect. It was through the love of another person. It was through them seeing the Hickenloopers as their equals. It was through them being familiar with our circumstances. They didn't know all the ins and outs, and that didn't matter to them. Sure, I wanted to tell them to justify why we appreciated and, yes, needed their help. But that wasn't important to them, and I loved them for that. They knew they had riches to give, and they knew enough to know the Hickenloopers could benefit from their love and their substance, and they were free with it. That was not only the only gift we received, and even the following year, the kindness of strangers 
I'm sure realizing that bouncing back takes time, but their generosity blessed and brightened our home with their kindness and their thoughts for our well-being. I never imagined that I would be who God would direct people's thoughts towards in this sort of manner. And though I do not wish to repeat it, I am grateful to have learned from it. I still do not know who extended the kindnesses to us, but I love them. I hope that I have been a good steward of their substance. But yeah, you know, I know that's not their concern. But they have been great teachers to me. Our riches come in a variety of ways. It may be gold and silver, like the Nephites or like my experience, but the riches of those who are rich in love, in wisdom, in faith, rich in companionship, rich in service, in forgiveness, those too have blessed my life. It takes regarding others as ourselves, poking our heads out of our doors so that we're familiar with others. And then it's being free with the substance that we have been blessed with by God. All of this can be amplified and sanctified when we first seek the kingdom of God and we find that hope in Christ. Once we obtain that, then the good that we will be able to do will be limitless. Sister Scriptorians, who needs you and what do you have to offer them? prayerfully look for those who could be lifted by the riches you possess and with faith in Jesus Christ, clothe them in your love. Feed them with the hope of Jesus. Liberate the heaviness of their hearts with your kindness and give relief. The relief that seeing their worth can give them. Make it a great day.